Good morning. We'll be starting in Luke chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, you want to turn to Luke 10. If you don't have one, but you have one of those fancy smartphones, you can open to it as well. So Luke 10. It says, Now the Lord chose 72 other disciples, and he sent them ahead into pairs, sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places that he planned to visit. And his instructions were this. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go, I am sending you out. I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter into someone's house, first say, may God's peace be on this house. And if those who live there are peaceful, then the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking whatever is provided for you. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. And if you enter a house and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you now. So the 72 went out, and when they returned, they joyfully reported, Lord, even the demons obey when we use your name. And Jesus said to them, yes, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because the evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. And at that same time, Jesus, filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit, said, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, I thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and revealing them to the childlike. Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that your spirit that is present right now, God would illuminate it. God, not just your word that's written here, but your word that was made human in Jesus. Pray that your word and your spirit would illuminate what is going on in our hearts and our souls today, wherever we're at. If we're having trouble being present, God, I just pray that you would calm us and speak to us right now. If we're having trouble with our our conscience right now or feeling self-conscious, I pray that um, the distractions around us would fade away and we could hear you this morning. Amen. Well, it's definitely the harvest time of year. I don't know how many of you have fall as your favorite Favorite season? I know it seems like in the fall we always ask this. Fall's favorite season? Yeah? If we haven't met before, by the way, I'm Rob. It's nice to have you. I'm excited to see you today. But 
fall is so many people's favorite season. And fall is this harvest time of year, and you don't even have to be from a rural area to see that, because you can just drive down the road and see these pickup trucks with large signs and small tables popping up by gas stations selling their produce. You can go into any grocery store, and they've got pumpkins, and they've got apples, and they've got corn on the cob, things that you know we don't see for six months or seven months or 12 months out of the year, it seems like. But it's just evident in each thing we see. And here's the interesting thing about fall. It's this time of paradox. I mean, think about it. There's this abundance of crops and this abundance of vibrant colors in the trees, but there's also this loss. There's less warmth, there's less light, and then we can watch all those leaves fall off the tree. And in this passage, too, there's this paradox Jesus says there are so many people that are willing to receive this message and live it out in the kingdom, and yet there's so few people, so few workers who are willing and available to do that, to go take that message out. I wonder why that is. He says the fields are ripe, they're ready. When I've asked people about this, um, if I use the word evangelism, they kind of get really shaky, like it's a disease or something that, you know, is contagious. And they're like, I, well, I, I don't know how to do that. Or, or I'm not very good at that. And so we have a little bit more conversation about that. And, well, have you ever tried? Well, no, no, I, I don't try because I'm not good at it. And I wonder where people's thoughts come from when they say they can't try it because they're not good at it. You know, if we had that same mentality with school, we might not get very far in school. Many people have that same mentality in math. You know, well, I'm not good at math, so I can't do math. And they've even created curriculums now to try and change people's thinking about how they view math. And I think God is inviting us to change our thinking in the same way here. So let's look at it. Who is Jesus talking to when he gives this charge to go? What kind of disciples? Seasoned, maybe. The 70, yeah, or the 72, right? These are not the 12. These are not the seasoned, super seasoned disciples um, because the 12 went out according to Luke in Luke 9, which could be months before, could be weeks before, but, but Jesus says he called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and cure disease. That should sound familiar to what we just read. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. That should sound familiar. And then he said, take nothing on the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Should sound familiar. So he's already sent out his professional disciples. So the 70 or the 72 are not the 12. They're the ones who who could have been following Jesus when he called the 12. I spent much of middle school and elementary school when we'd do squads and when we do like dodgeball games, um, waiting, wondering when I was gonna be picked because I wasn't super strong or super athletic. I'm like, I'm small, I'm a hard target. But these weren't the first ones picked. 
I like to call them the second strings or the JV. That was my nickname, JV. Even, if, even once I got to high school and made varsity, they still called me JV, but it's okay now. It's okay. What's counseling? It's okay. Jesus, they're the, they're the bench warmers. And, um, and so, in, you know, I didn't, I tried to use that phrase with students when I would talk to them, and they didn't really get the JV or the bench warmer thing, so we started to call these 72 the fatter followers. Now, this isn't any kind of, I'm not knocking on anyone's way. These are the F-A-T-Rs, the faithful, available, teachable, and responsive followers. Faithful meaning they've been following Jesus and believing in him, and they just got called on this time. But they were faithful, so they were there, and they were available, meaning they weren't too distracted or too busy to say yes to him. They were teachable in that even though they'd been watching Jesus and they hadn't been picked, they were ready to step up and do it in the way that Jesus would say they wanted to do it. Because trust me, when I hear this, uh, to go out and heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom and oh, don't bring, don't bring a bag, don't bring a stamp, don't bring all this extra stuff, I start to go, well, I, I like that stuff. I like to be prepared. And, and they say, okay, we'll do it your way. In fact, think about what he is asking them to bring. What is he asking them to bring? Faith. How does he send them out? Two, so they get to bring a friend. You know, you're, you're hoping that they like the other person. So you don't have to do it alone. Bring their faith. Bring another person. Anything else? Yeah, yeah, the good news, an attitude of peace. But that's it. That's all they're being asked to bring. And I wonder why that is. But then he's asking them to do some things. What is he asking them to do? What's the first thing he's asking them to do? You might have to look. Uh, no. Maybe we could put the slide up, Chris, from 10.1. What is he asking them to do first? Pray to the Lord. Man, how many of you have that first response when you get asked to do something big? I wish I did. No, ask the Lord to give more workers. Almost saying, it's too big of a job for you. Now, I don't know how many of you like to hear that. Some of us rise to the challenge. I have a daughter who's a ninth grader who's got a very tough teacher, and she is rising to the challenge. I am not going to fall down to this person. But she's made of, um, well, vinegar. Anyway, she can rise to that challenge. And, And that she got from me. I forget to stop and ask the Lord. We need more workers. But then he says, pray and then go. Just go. Regardless of if you feel ready, just go. Now, he's asking them to do some things. In these 72, he's asking to do certain activities. And, you know, we just looked, kind of glanced at Luke 9. When the 12 get sent out to do activities, do you notice anything about those two lists? It's a little bit directed question, a little baited. 
What, what kinds of activities are the 12 being asked to do and what kinds of activities are the 72 being asked to do? Drive out demons and cure diseases. And what is he asking the 12 to do? Same thing. Drive out demons and cure diseases. Heal the sick, proclaim the good news. It's the same list. Interestingly enough, if we go all the way back to when Luke starts his ministry right after his baptism, he goes into his synagogue, Luke 4, and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to give freedom to the prisoners. He has... He has told me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor or the year of the Lord's favor has come. He's just asking them to do what he's asked the 12 to do, which is what he's been doing for the last almost three years. You ever have a teacher who asks you to do something, but they're not willing to do it? Or as, you, as an adult, you're driving and then you turn to your, your child that will soon be driving and be like, do as I do, say, not as I do. Or you were a teenager and you're watching your parents drive going, how do you not get in an accident or get tickets? <laughs> but Jesus is asking them to do the very things that he's been doing. And maybe that's one of the reasons that we are hesitant to do the things that he's asking us to do. You know, at the beginning when we said, would you, would you go and do this? Would you share your faith? Oh, I'm not very good at it. When you compare yourself to Jesus, I bet you're not. Me either. And maybe that's what they were trying to um, get the, maybe that's the part that they were having the trouble with. But Jesus basically says, travel light, because it's gonna be dangerous. Like, lambs among wolves, dangerous. And, you know, Zootopia is a great movie. It's got lambs and wolves and predators. And, and, you know, it really makes us rethink how we view people. But I guess it, it just adds to the cuteness of lambs and wolves. We, and if you're older and you haven't seen it, Looney Tunes, you know, the coyote and the roadrunner, like, adds to the cuteness of what it means to be amongst predators as someone who is helpless. I don't like to be called helpless. But Jesus says to his followers and to these non-professional disciples, you are helpless. You are a lamb among predators. People that will want to reject you or devour you. Now, Here's a question that we can all answer. You're all invited to, because honestly, I think you'll have something that's worth more than what I might have if I could tell you a story about it. So we want to learn from each other in this one. So here's the question. Have you ever been asked to do something risky? Or have you ever felt like you're supposed to do something risky? So have you ever been asked to do something risky, but you're not sure if you have enough resources to do it? See, I think it'd be amazing to be one of the 72. Like, if that works, if this class is successful, right? Like, there's a thrill to it. 
if the house works and you figure out like the money actually came through and this was the right thing, there's this sense of relief. You know, if, if you have a kid and you, you make less mistakes and more successes, you feel like, yep, it's a kind of a pass-fail, right? But you feel, oh, maybe I can do this. Maybe I am equipped. And I think these 72, for sure, they come back and say, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. You know, the interesting thing about that is that just a few verses before that, when the 12 come back, they have this successful time, and then Jesus takes them up on this mountain, and then they come down from the mountain, and there's this moment where Jesus encounters a demon-possessed boy, and the person says, Lord, would you heal him? Your disciples couldn't drive him out. So the nine of the 12 disciples, I know this is a lot of numbers today, but nine of the 12 disciples could not drive a demon out just before this happens, just before Jesus sends out the second string disciples, and they come back and say, Lord, even the demons obey us when we, when we use your name. I wonder how those nine are feeling at that moment. Like, oh, what did we do wrong? But Luke is trying to get us to see these things because Luke is inspired, but he's awful crafty. He wants us to notice those connections. He also wants us to notice that Jesus has been doing what Isaiah the prophet said the chosen one or the Messiah would do. When Jesus reads the scroll from Isaiah, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to do these things. When he sends out the 12, he says, do these things that Isaiah talked about. And when he sends out the 70 or the 72, he says, do these things that Isaiah talked about. Isaiah was talking to these people who were in exile, who had kind of not believed God, and not just kind of, but really truly didn't follow God. And now God had them in a different nation. And he says, oh, I'll rescue you, but I want you to understand who I am. And so he talked about someone that would come and lead them out of this exile. He actually used the word exodus when he talked about that. Exodus simply means departure, and it's connected to Isaiah. It's connected to Elijah, two major prophets of God. It's connected to Moses. In fact, when Jesus goes up on that mountain that I just mentioned, his appearance changes. He becomes brilliantly white and Moses and Elijah show up and he's with three of his closest disciples and they freak out a little bit, but the text makes this interesting comment. I think we have it. Um, Luke 9, 31. Suddenly two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see and they were speaking to him about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Okay, I know many of you probably don't use the word exodus very often, but like I said, it just means departure. Moses and Elijah and these, these prophets of God that are famous, one talked, led the people out of the first exodus from Egypt. Elijah was a major prophet that was trying to call the people out of the next exodus, and they are talking to Jesus about his exodus. Why? Why? Would they be doing that? That's what Luke wants us to see. That's what he's trying to get us to figure out. So if we figure that out, we need to see, well, where would, is there any other place that this is connected to in the scriptures? 
See, 70 is used a lot of times in the scripture, but 72 or 70 plus two, that's only used one other time. And, and the crazy thing that Luke writes is, like some of the translations say 70 and some of them say 72, okay? And I realize that I'm a math nerd, so I, I like these things, but the only other time in scripture that 70 plus two is used is Numbers 11. And I think Luke wants to connect the sending of the 72 to God sending the spirit on the 70 plus two elders, which is Numbers 11. So if you wanna turn there, we'll turn there. It's very fun. Anytime you read Numbers, I I know many of you don't read Numbers, but um, anytime you read Numbers, you need to ask what time is it? Like where are they at in the journey? And trust me, in about five minutes, I believe that all of you will wanna read Numbers. I, I know that's a big claim, but Numbers is a place that speaks to each of us once we start to understand the story. So in Numbers, you've got to ask what time it is. It's Numbers 11, and so if you look around, you'll see that in Numbers 10, they have just left Mount Sinai. So again, if you don't know the story, God's people were in Egypt. They were slaves. God rescued them from slavery, led them threw out of the most powerful nation at that time, Egypt, and led them to a mountain in the desert or the wilderness. It's called Mount Sinai, and they stay there for a year. Now, if you've been in slavery your entire life, staying at a mountain, and yes, they had to build a a worship center, portable, they were a church plant, but uh, staying in Mount Sinai, building this temple, but getting to take one day a week off every week, I bet it felt like a vacation. So they have Mount Sinai Resort for the, the last year. They are learning who God is. He is giving them his instruction. That's what law means. He's giving them in instruction. He's telling them how to behave with each other. And he's helping them build a worship center so that they can meet with God. They haven't known this God. They've only known about this God for their whole lives. And over the next year, they are not just knowing about him. They are knowing him. And they then, after a year, Numbers 10 says, that in the second year, they left. The cloud, which was the presence of God, from the tabernacle, which is that portable worship center, moved. And so the Israelites set out from the wilderness of Sinai and traveled from place to place until they came to Paran. The point is that after a year, God says, it's time to go. It's time to go which has to be exciting because vacations are great, right? But it's also nice to come home, especially if that's a new home in a new place and you get a new job and actually a new way of doing things. Because again, vacations are great, but there's a newness to this sense of being home. And if you've ever traveled with toddlers or procrastinating teenagers, you'll know that there's a question connected to it's time to go. Anybody want to take a stab? Yeah, when, huh? What is that question? When those kids say, I just want to finish this, or, well, I haven't packed. Are you ready yet? Anytime it's time to go comes up. Are you ready yet comes up. This is the question. 
This is the question of Numbers 11. This is the question of Luke 10. This is the question to you and I. Are you ready yet? Are you ready for a new place where there's a new way to interact with God? Are you ready for a a new way of seeing God? Are you ready for a new way of living and trusting God? Are you ready for a new way of living by the power of the Spirit? And the people are not. At least in Numbers 11, they're not. It says that they start complaining after they leave. And God gets angry. They are complaining because they want the good things of Egypt. We want the meat. Give us the steak. Give us Mediterranean tuna. Oh, we had fish for free in Egypt. Yes, we were slaves, but oh, and the leeks and the onions and the garlic and the melons. We could have all of this produce harvest in slavery. Paradox. And Moses gets angry. God gets angry. Interestingly enough, though, when they complain the first time, God doesn't get angry. Another story for another day. Actually, next week we'll talk about that. But this time, God does get angry because he has spent the last year with them. They have been relating to God for a year. They have been learning this rhythm with God for a year. And he says, okay, it's time to go. It's time to go to the promised land. It's time to go to the sacred future. It's time to go to this place that I promised you hundreds of years ago. Are you ready? And the people say, no. We want meat. And then Moses says, Lord, I'm done. These people drive me crazy. I mean, it's my translation, but. Moses said, why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Numbers 11, 11. Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a nursing mother carries its baby? How can I carry them into the land you swore to give their ancestors? Who does Moses think is responsible for these people? himself. And interesting, the next question he asks, I think we have it, verse 13, where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me saying, give us meat to eat. What does that question reveal about Moses? I have to have the resources. So Jesus sends out the 72 And he says, I've given you the authority to drive out demons, to heal the sick, proclaim the good news. Don't bring all this stuff because you'll trust in the stuff. Just go into this place, proclaim peace on the house, which is not the way they do things. And if they let you in, then just trust that they'll have enough for you. Then you can get onto the business I have for you. You don't have to be thinking about where you're going to lay your head down. Just trust me. And they come back and say, even the demons obey us. Meaning, we, when we live by the power of your spirit, when we believe that you are enough, you were. And it's thrilling. When the 12 did it, 
they had some success, but then they came and we couldn't drive the demon out of the boy. And Jesus says, oh, this one can only come out through prayer. Meaning, through the resources of God. And then Moses, it's all about me. I have to come up with the resources. And God so graciously says, because here's, here's the props for Moses. At least he goes to God. When you're in, and, and when you're in a situation where you are thinking, this is too much for me. The best prayer you can pray is, God, it's too much for me. Because now you've just said, I'm available to you. I'm stopping using my own power. I'm making myself available to you. How do you know you're ready when it's time to go? When you make yourself fully available to God. What does that look like? Sometimes it just looks like saying yes. Saying, Lord, I'll go. Who do you want me to love today? Because that's what he says to the 72. And sure enough, that's what happens with Numbers 11. Moses says, I can't do it anymore. And he says, it's okay. Don't worry. I'm going to take some of the spirit that I gave you and I'm going to put it on these elders. So call the 70 elders together and meet at the tent and I'll show up. And then the people will know that there's resources beyond you. And sometimes everybody needs to know that. And so God does. He shows up. He shows up and his spirit comes down and it says that the people, these elders, they prophesy and they they don't do it anymore. But then two men, Eldad and Medad, or Medad, they stayed behind. They didn't show up at the place where they were. Now, it sort of says they were registered so they are part of the 70 or not. We're not sure. It's 70 plus two. Same thing. And they get the spirit, even though they're not in the right place at the right time with the right person. And they get the spirit. And it kind of sounds like they continue to have the spirit. And word gets out and people are like, we can't do that. And so a young man runs into camp and tells Moses, Eldad and Medad, they're prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, zealous for Moses, his assistant says, Moses, stop them. And Moses has a very interesting remark. Are you jealous for my sake? I wish all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. Now, we don't know what kind of a spirit they get. We don't know if they're prophesying or speaking in tongues or if they're declaring truths. The point is that when the text, especially in the Old Testament, says they prophesied, it means they had the spirit. And when Jesus died, was buried, was raised, and ascended, he sent the spirit, not just to the 12, not just to the 72, but to everyone. The words of the prophet Joel were fulfilled. And in Acts 2, you can read about just how the Spirit comes on everyone. Young, old, man, woman, rich, poor, black, white, brown, all kinds of different people. Anyone that was faithful, available, teachable, and responsive. God has made his Spirit fully available to us. Have you made yourself fully 
available to him? That's the question. That's the promise. God wants to work in this way. God wants to see us all being prophets. God wants to see us all living in his resources, not our own. But how often do we say, oh, you're not doing it in the right way with the right resources, with the right person, so that must not be from you, God. Or worse, we like actively try and stop it. God works through people that are not Christian, people that are not Jewish. God works through people that we would say aren't schooled or learned. And Jesus says, Father, I thank you that you gave your power to the, to the children. We, so we could just see how, how amazing and generous you are. So what are you trusting in? When you look around, when a, when a situation is too big for you, are you grabbing your resources? Or are you asking the one who has all the resources? You know, that Ephesians 5 says, for us to be very careful how we live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not be drunk with wine, because that would make you under the influence. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So what does it look like? We make ourselves available to the Spirit. And then we say, Lord, under your power and under your influence, How do you want me to live? Who do you want me to love? This man named George Mueller, who lived in the 1800s and was a pastor, had this dream of starting and running orphanages. Except here's the thing. He knew that he couldn't do it. He knew he didn't have the skills or the resources to do it, but he decided, God, I I will do this, and, and if you will provide for me, I'll just trust you and you alone for my every need. And he never told a soul the money that he needed, but he always told God. And God used people to answer every one of those prayers. And he collected, he, he collected prayer journals in his, over his life, and those have, been, um, those have been saved. And I want to read one for you. This is from June 13th, 1853, and I think as we close, this is what it looks like to make ourselves available to the Spirit, to be able to answer the question, are you ready to say yes? Now, I'm gonna change all the financial numbers from 1853 because $5 really wouldn't compel us. So these are today's dollars. June 13th, 1853. We are now very poor. We do, in fact, have a little money, to, but we need to buy flour, oatmeal, soap, and pay the workmen who had to do several repairs around the house. This is all in addition to our regular expenses of $10,212 per week. And on Saturday, I found out that the furnace needs to be repaired, which will probably cost $3,650. All totaled, it looks like we'll need about $14,600 of expenses. 
Now I'm aware, humanly speaking, that I could see no prospects whatsoever about receiving this extra money. Not even $150, let alone $14,600. And today's Monday. We receive very little on Mondays. However, as I walked to the orphanage, I was praying as usual, and I specifically told the Lord that even though today was Monday, he could send a large donation. And so it was. That day, we received $43,915 to be used wherever it was needed. The joy I had could not be described. I paced back and forth in my room for a long time. Tears of joy and gratitude to God rained down my cheeks. I was filled with praise and I continued for some time praising God and thanking him for his magnificent goodness and surrendering myself to him again. God, you can use me in any way you need me. What if that was your prayer today? As the band comes up and as we close, huh, one of our own, Leanne, is going on a little journey. Leanne leads our prayer team and she um, is going to an orphanage. Well, it's not an orphanage. Children's home. A children's home in Kenya. And Leanne, you said that 20 years ago you felt this nudge to do this. Can you tell us how the two things are connected? Yeah, so um, when I was in college and a very new believer, I went to a missions conference, and I felt a very strong stirring in my heart to do missions work. And so I was all in. I was like, I'm quitting school. I'm moving to Africa. And that was not the way the Lord had it planned for me. So I did wind up doing two years um, commitment as a music missionary, and I've done a couple short-term trips since then, but there was always a stirring in my heart for Africa. Mm. I really wanted to go to Africa. And I had this sense that what I had done, the Lord wasn't finished with yet. Um, and uh, orphans, anytime I heard anything about orphans, there was just this stirring like, oh, I just, I want to love. Um, I always thought I would be a mom. I'm 43, have no kids. And so there's this love that I have that I want to give to children. I have a mother's heart within me and no kids. So the orphan thing was just continually calling. About a year ago or so, I, um, I, this message just was straight from my experience. Mm. I um, was at a phase in my life of just reassessing what does my life look like and how is that different from what I want my life to look like? And I read this book called Crazy Love, um, and it stirred me. It was like, do you want to live a life of faith, or do you want to live a life of comfort? Because honestly, faith 100% of the time requires risk. And I was pretty settled into my life. So I thought, okay, this is it. I want to live a life of faith. I want a life of risk. I want a life of dependence on God. And when you talk about lack of resources, for me, that was always, I am not enough. God is enough in me. God is enough in you. It, we don't have to be enough. That's the whole point of what Jesus did for us, that he is enough for us. So when we rely on him, 
He provides the anointing we need to do the work. He provides the resources we need to do the work. He is enough for us. And so that's kind of the journey that I'm on right now where I really feel like um, in the future, God will have me quit my job and be a part of um, meeting the needs of orphaned and vulnerable children in Kenya. So I get to go in 10 days. 10 days. So for 20 years, I've had the dream and I'm gonna go. So I'm really excited. If you've ever spent any amount of time with Leanne, um, those words of not thinking, that, of thinking you're not enough would shock the average person. Not because you come across as all of, you know, having everything, but because of the confidence and the sight and the faith you have in the Lord. And so thank you for being vulnerable with us. And in 10 days, you get to go. And I know Steve's in the back, but I bet you'll be back in the prayer cove if people want to ask you or near the prayer cove or talk to you about this. But I would just like to pray. Thank you for sharing with us and we go with you on this journey. Um, As you talked, Leanne, this um, verse in 2 Corinthians 4, that we have this treasure in these jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So Lord, I pray that Leanne would know clearly the vessel you've called her to be and that any cracks that she has more clearly show your glory and your power. They shine through. That she is enough with you. That your power and your goodness and your glory and your resources are enough. And it's risky to love. It's risky to love orphans, God. But she's going this step of faith. I pray that you'll provide for her every need. Again, not for her to feel comfortable, but for for people to be able to say, Jesus lives in her. May she know that we go with her. Amen. Would you make yourself available to the Spirit as we close?